Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One for podcasting. From the Jethro's Barbecue Studios, now featuring CBD-infused seltzer to get happy, legal for 18 and up, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. The PAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Good morning. Welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on the air with you. Minus the Miller for another couple of days. Cody Goodwin sitting in the hot seat across from me here today. What's happening, Cody? Not a whole lot, man. Trying to make sense of this uh, MLB Hall of Fame stuff. Because Ah. uh, I'm going to throw it out there. Why isn't Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame? Well, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about your boys, a Red Sox fan, David Ortiz, and a whole lot more kicking things off here in the first segment. Coming up today on the BMW Des Moines guest list, we'll start at about 1045. We'll talk some NFL, break down the two conference championship games as we finally turn the page. I know Cody's not ready to quite yet after that epic win from Kansas City over Buffalo over the weekend, but we'll start to and break down the AFC and NFC Championship games with Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. That comes your way at 1045. 11 o'clock hour, the Bears have a new general manager and maybe a new coach right back behind it. David Kaplan will join us from Chicago, get his thoughts on that. The Bulls' injuries continue to pile up and a whole lot more. David Kaplan, as he does each and every Wednesday here, 11.05, presented by Centurion Stone of Iowa. And then we'll wrap up the guest list at 11.30. Cody, you got to be excited by this. The voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will be with us. Mitch always does a great job, man. One of my favorite things to do after watching like big Chiefs wins mm-hmm. is, I think it's 610 radio down in Kansas City that'll do this. They'll lay... Mitch's call over the big plays yeah. and so like to go back and listen to him go crazy during that final two minutes in OT that was that was pretty righteous uh, pretty I, cool. I can only imagine so I was picking up dinner Saturday night and flipped on the radio and was listening to the Drake you and I game that was going on and also going and listening to the radio calls and the Cincinnati Bengals radio crew who I hadn't heard very often, admittedly, throughout the time, but that was a feed that I, they flipped on when I was jumping over to that game. And I will tell you, the excitement level as that game was kind of building there in the fourth quarter. I heard the interception and got home just in time to see the field goal by my wife's cousin. Well, her maiden name was McPherson. I'm waiting for those Super Bowl tickets if Cincinnati gets there. <laughs> but uh, Evan McPherson going out there. So, yeah, it was uh, an interesting listen because... I've heard so many games of Paul Allen with the Vikings and heard the Bears radio crew throughout the year with an Iowa State guy uh, is their radio guy. Of course, Wayne Larravee with the Packers and Mitch Holtis with the Chiefs. I've heard so many of those games, but just hearing some of the different ones out there. What are the things I used to love? Now, this might be aging me a little bit. Did you as a youngster watch NFL primetime on Sunday nights, the wrap-up with Chris Berman 
and Tom Jackson. Did you watch that very often? Oh, yeah. Berman's a legend, yeah, man. They, like, I loved watching that. And often they would also have the radio calls. They, yeah. they would kind of splice that in from time to time. And you don't get that as often, but it was always great kind of hearing the calls from around the country and what it does. You know, overnight radio, I think, always does a great job of that, of getting the radio calls, the big games, whatever it is. But those NFL voices across the league, I used to know a whole lot better back in that era as opposed to what it is today. But it was fun getting to listen to those guys and going nuts and they're freaking out. And then I uh, ended up that night on Twitter seeing their radio call was up there. Somebody had done the same thing. And the color announcer just hollering all over the game-winning field goal. (laughs) Didn't even let the play-by-play. And as a play-by-play guy... It's a little annoying when that happens. I get that, yeah, but yeah. you got to think, man. Like oh, home, yeah. hometown radio stuff, mm-hmm. like the, and we see it a little bit at the college level too. Like I always sit behind the, you know, the Iowa wrestling radio broadcast oh, whenever I go to Carver, because um, Stephen Grace and Mark Ironside they do such a good job, yes. and um, they have really good chemistry. And Ironside's such a wrestling guy that it's really funny to kind of listen to the dynamics between, you know, what Ironside's talking about, what Grace is talking about, Stephen Grace for Learfield, um. You know, and then I, they're they're kind of building that up a little bit for Iowa State too. I know that uh, Kyvin Gadsden does a lot of stuff for them, mm-hmm. whether it's like radio calls or a lot of what they do now is on like ESPN Plus for their sure. wrestling broadcast. And so, um, you know, to be able to listen to those guys and um, I, it's just it's really cool. And there's and there's something special about like the hometown radio call, like mm-hmm. whether it's a big win or a crushing defeat, because sometimes right. you'll hear those too, where it's like they're trying to make sense and close the game at the end of like a really really big loss, and it's just like dang man, like that's that that's where you know where the true professionals are right there. It's it's impressive. Again, eleven thirty. That's when you can hear Mitch Holtis here with us, presented by Papa John's of Iowa. All right, it's time to get into it. It is the Baseball Hall of Fame, and no, this is not. July and we don't have anything to talk about and we're going down this road and talking about Pete Rose getting into the Hall of Fame. No, that this is not what this is. This is, of course, a big story. So let's start at the top. You're a Red Sox fan. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with you. David Ortiz. I have different thoughts about David Ortiz because of the team I root for, the Minnesota Twins. Made an awful decision and let him go. <laughs> and of course, he becomes a Hall of Famer. But you see Big Poppy get in. First of all, just as a fan, take away kind of the analytical part of it how you look at him as a fan, he just seems like he was such a fun guy to be able to root for game in and game out. Yeah, man, he was he was a part of a lot of really good Red Sox teams, like even the ones that didn't win, like mm-hmm. the the 03 team and, you know, the 06 team was really good and you know, those are those were the teams that really kind of hooked me into Boston fandom. Like those were like I remember specifically watching the 03 ALCS when Aaron Boone walks off for the Yankees. Like that was that was the moment where I was like, man, like I, I really want to see the Red Sox beat these guys, you know, because that's, you know, the pinstripe machine is, is still rolling. And it's like, man, like, I I don't know, like it, it if the team's going to do it, I'd love for it to be Boston. So then, you know, you dive into that history, you dive into the game, you know, all the greats that have come from both of them. And it'd be like, wow, man, that'd be really cool to do it. And, you know, obviously, Big Poppy played a huge role on those teams to, you know, quote unquote, break the curse. And, you know, I analytically speaking and with advanced analytics has overtaken baseball i wonder sometimes if it kind of sours the hall of fame vote just a little bit just because i think maybe they're thinking too hard and you know there's there's plenty of reason out there to maybe not vote poppy into the hall of fame david ortiz into the hall of fame um or at least maybe not first ballot right Mm -hmm. but you know like i i guess i always come back to the idea that like the hall of fame you know if to get into the hall of fame like are they able to tell the story of the sport without you um, you know, and maybe that, like, you, I I think David Ortiz is crucial to 
the story of the game of baseball, specifically the Red Sox organization. And also, like, the guy was one of the best hitters of his generation. Like, right. absolutely. Like, I, I think it makes sense to get in. I understand why some people may argue against him because, you know, defensively it was a little bit of a liability. <laughs> right, so, oh, yeah. but hey, you know, he was, he was, I think his, his bat obviously made up for it. As clutch as you're going to find in baseball. And that's certainly going to be how I remember him. But he was in the Mitchell report. And PED certainly were a part. Now, physically, he didn't change. He was always a big guy. But you look around baseball, you look at the other names, and it goes and it coincides here with two guys in their final year of the ballot, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, in their final year not voted in. Now, this has been a conversation now for a decade. And I love baseball, love talking about baseball and breaking it down. And I thought, ultimately, when this conversation started 10 years ago, that we would get to a point, by this point, that they ultimately would be voted in, that we would see them get by the 75% threshold. There'd be enough people that would let go of the PED allegations and say, Barry Bonds, you can't have a Hall of Fame without Barry Bonds. Same thing with Pete Rose, which is a different conversation. I tend to agree. You're talking about a museum, ultimately. Yeah. That's what this is. This you're, is you're talking about a museum that tells the story of baseball. Right. And you're going to do it without the best player of our generation. We're... What, 14 years apart? How old are you, 28? 29. 29? All right, we're a dozen years apart. But for us, can you think of a better player you ever watched play than Barry Bonds? Mike Trout, and that's just because he's still playing. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I got another 12 years on you, and there isn't. Right. That three-year run where they're walking him with the bases loaded, the OPS shattering records, it looks like video game numbers, and that gets thrown out from time to time. But this is true. Just bring up his baseball reference and look at Barry Bonds and look at that three-year stretch where he breaks the single-season home run record, the on-base percentage, and just on and on and on. These are levels nobody has ever been close to. Was he helped? Absolutely. I think we all know that. You just look at what he did physically late in his career. You know something changed, and it changed with the help of performance-enhancing drugs. But how you don't have this guy in the Hall of Fame? So someday, I'm going to take my son, Jack. We're going to go, we're going to do the Northeast trip. I'm going to go to Cooperstown. And I'm going to have to explain to him, the home run leader, the guy that has a single season. He's not in here yet. A guy like David Ortiz is. And it's a conversation that becomes a little bit more difficult. Is it because Barry Bonds was a pain in the ass? I mean, is it, this as simple it could as that? Be. It could be. Like, I know that that's, you know, I, I, I'm not as deep in the baseball bubble as some other people, but. You know, the some of the comments that I was seeing was that like, you know, there's there's, you know, a quote unquote good character clause, mm-hmm, right? Like right. that's that's a kind of an unspoken requirement to get into the Hall of Fame, which I think is is a little strange. Um, because when we're talking about this, the idea of the Hall of Fame, this museum that tells the sports story, like, you know, like do we want good people in there? Like, yes, but it should also include the best players and like you said i don't know that there was anybody better than barry bonds that you know and i'd make the joke about mike trout but he's still playing we can make the same joke about bryce harper you know tons of other guys that are still playing the game currently um you know like i part of me's like here's the other thing and i don't know if we I, i i saw a few of these comments like rob manfred got in he oversaw that era like the moment he got in I kind of assumed, okay, everybody else is about to get into Clemens, Bonds, mm-hmm. Ortiz. Like, maybe not immediately, but I kind of figured, like, once he got in, that everybody else would soon follow suit. So to, so to see Barry Bonds not get in, I, I don't know. As a casual baseball fan, I was a little disappointed. I have a, a little bit more of a problem with Roger Clemens, 
And it's just a personality thing for me more than anything. So, so you believe in the good character clause. I, I, for him, I do. And I know it's not right. And I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. It's just there's something about Clemens that just always bothered me, even yeah. when he was. But those two guys, before the PEDs. Now, you can make the argument, Bonds is a different level. He was a Hall of Famer before the home run numbers became what they became. He was the best left fielder of a generation. He was a year-in, year-out all-star player. And he took it to another level as he was enhanced. But... With Clemens, you do look, and after things were winding down in Boston, and he rejuvenated himself in Toronto. You know, a lot of the allegations point to his days in New York and then, of course, in Houston afterwards, and that's where a lot of these come from. But it does lead you to wonder. The steroid era, we kind of, I think we think of it as the late 90s into the early 2000s, but look at the Ranger teams of the early 90s, and look at the A's teams of that era with Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And you just go through and you say, does this era even start earlier than we actually think? And what were they doing? And is it not just the old school anabolic steroid that you think of and those kind of things, but what else was out there at that time? Because Clemens went from a guy at the end of Boston, looked like he was done and rejuvenated himself to Toronto and then had another, what, 12, 13 years after that, that he was able to put together. And could he do that just physically alone? Or is there something else there? But ultimately, it's a conversation that can become very, very frustrating. Let's go out to the phone lines right now. You can join us here, Trent and Cody in for you on Miller and Con and 10 to noon here on KXNO. We got Jeff on the line, 284-5966, 284-KXNO. You can dial us up right now. What's happening, Jeff? Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. Um, I don't know if I'm on the um, being a good person side, but let's just be honest. Barry Bonds was a dick. Mm-hmm. He's a liar. Um, it didn't help his cause that he just kind of come out and just said, hey, you know what? I cheated. I did something wrong. Um, I tried to, you know, get my body to peak position, to peak spots so we could win a World Series, which he never did. Um, so I don't know if I'm on that side, but I'll say this, and we didn't bring his name up in the, in the equation, but I'm a huge Ken Griffey fan. And here's a couple of stats for you. And these aren't very Bond numbers, but the guy went 56, 56, 48, and 50. Those are home runs, and he's never been a trace uh, to steroids or PEDs. And with that, what Barry Bonds never did, and maybe I'm wrong, Trent or Cody, you could help me, but Ken Griffey changed the game. Ken Griffey with the backwards hat, mm-hmm. hitting home runs in the home run derby. If you remember, and I could be wrong, but didn't they beat the Yankees? Griffey was on second. Edgar Martinez hit a shot in the outfield, and Griffey slid into home to win their first, uh, I believe, postseason series. Um, in the mid nineties, could be wrong there, but we're still talking about that in two thousand twenty two. Right. What did we talk what did Barry Bonds do besides home runs that would, you know, change the game of baseball? I don't I, I don't have anything. So I'm not really, you know, crying over Barry Bonds not making the World Series. Am I missing something? Well, I think you're missing the best player of a generation. You're talking about the guy that's the home run leader. You're talking about a guy that completely changed the way that we look at power hitters of what they can do. It was appointment television. Every time that he would come up during that 2001 season, ESPN would cut in as he is chasing the 70 home run record. And, and Griffey, why did the body break down? Well, some people could point to PEDs. Yeah, he was never named to the Mitchell Report and those kind of things, but there are plenty of people that said you know, when it started to go south for him in Cincinnati and the injuries started to pile up, Maybe there was a reason behind that, that that could happen. Again, it's just rumors. It's murmurs. But well, those things are out there for basically so, everybody of that era. So let me ask you this, and, it's, and this is a what if, but if Griffey doesn't break down, 
You don't think he has the record? You don't think people in baseball wanted Ken Griffey to get the record? Because as of what we know, he was clean. Now, I know there's rumors out there, but we can say the same thing about uh, Trout breaking down. Mm-hmm. Why is Trout breaking down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we can go down this, we can go down this, you know, tinfoil hat as long as we want, but I think Ken Griffey, I, I believe he was the player of my generation. I think we're in the same age group, and maybe we disagree. But when I'm 12, 14, 16, and I remember Barry Bonds, the cut in, but Ken Griffey was my guy. He just seemed like a real good dude. He did everything that Barry, I mean, are we forgetting how great Ken Griffey was in center field? Right. Might have been one of, I don't know, top five center fielders of all time. And the numbers I mean, so that he put up were ridiculous, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the late 90s run that he had was incredible. Average. I mean, the same thing with Bonds did, but again, as of right now, Ken Griffey didn't cheat that we know of. Right. Barry Bonds did, and he just can't. He can't just come out and say, you know what? I messed up. Mm-hmm. And he won't. So, and, and that's and no, he won't. Yeah. 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 Hey, thanks so, for the thanks, phone call. Yep, thanks for the phone call. Jeff checking in, 284 Five nine six six. Yeah, Griffey was my dude. I love Griffey. I love Griffey too. Um, the backwards know, cap. I still wear. I'm forty years old and I still wear a backwards. And cap I grew up playing the the baseball or yeah. not the baseball, the backyard sports. Uh-huh. Um, you know, backyard football, backyard baseball, backyard hockey, all that stuff. And you know, it was always fun to play with with Griffey, and it was always fun to play with you know guys like Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, mm-hmm. right? Like it was just you know like these like that was the point of those games was to dumb it down and, and really kind of get kids my age at that point in time interested in it. And they did it for all of them. I don't know, man. I, so I misspoke earlier and said, Rob Manfred, I meant Bud Seeley. Bud Seeley, yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he oversaw the entire steroid area and mm-hmm. he's enshrined in the hall of fame. And there's, I don't know. Like I just, I keep coming back to like, if we're going to tell baseball story, we're going to tell it right. Shouldn't the guy who hit more home runs than anybody in league history be included. Mm-hmm. Right. And take steroids out of it. Like, you can juice yourself up, you know. I, you can take as many steroids as you possibly want, as you physically could withstand. And at the end of the day, you still have to take a round bat and hit a round ball that's coming at you anywhere from seventy to ninety to maybe even a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And you have to hit it more than anybody, four hundred, five hundred feet. And he did that over the course of two decades. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, and then when you look at the Hall of Fame, and you look at how. You know, again, Bud Selig is in, and he oversaw this era. And you look at you know guys like David Ortiz, who was yes, he was named in the Mitchell Report, mm-hmm. and you know really he probably got in on the strength of his postseason bat or high leverage situations bat because again, one of the best clutch hitters of all time. You know, but I mean, you look at who else is there. Like there's there are, you know, like I, do we really want to go here? Like there's domestic abusers and guys who have yeah. a pattern of like racist history that Ty are, Cobb. yeah that are enshrined mm-hmm. in the hall of fame and yet we don't want to put barry bonds in because you just i don't get it i don't get it you know it's a tough conversation it is and you can go a lot of different ways ultimately he's not in right now but we still have what was called the veterans committee now it has a different name and he's going to be there i i just i cannot imagine and that's another thing i believe they have artifacts of him Inside the Hall of Fame, I believe. For as great as his career was right. and as awesome. The, yeah, like every, the bat where he hit his 73rd home run or whatever it is. You have yeah. to assume there's some of that stuff in there. And the same thing. Then you're having the conversation. You're telling baseball history. Well, why isn't his statue here? Yeah, can you imagine, like, you know, like I'm 29 single, no kids. Like, let's, you know, 15 years down the line mm-hmm. here, I want to take my kid to Cooperstown. Like, look at all this Barry Bond stuff. Well, how come he's not in the Hall of Fame? Well, he was a cheater. I guess that's a conversation. That's, that's an that you easy have. conversation to right. have, perhaps, and but maybe that's ultimately what it comes down to. And but. it's a more nuanced conversation that you have to get into, right? Like, what, what about this David Ortiz guy? Well, I guess it was different because 
he's big poppy and he was a nice guy. Which I I and that's get where it. The problem is. I get it, but it's I don't know. If yeah. that's if that's where we're drawing the line, then I guess I have an issue. Looking at these bonds numbers too. They're absurd, man. His OPS on base plus slugging percentage in the seventy three home run season was one point three seven nine. His on base percentage for four straight years was over five hundred. That means over half the time he got on base, including the pinnacle at age thirty nine when he walked two hundred and thirty two times. And how many of those were with the bases loaded? To? Like, we'd rather forfeit <laughs> yeah. a run than pitch to you. 120 intentional walks that season. OPS that year, 1422. Slugging percentage, 812. Hit 362. Not in the Hall of Fame. He did that at 39 years old. Blows my mind. Yeah, Blows my mind. That's where we are. Well, Hall of Fame conversation. Again, that's always a fun one during the summertime, but <laughs> figured we'd sprinkle it in. We got some hoops tonight. Uh, three of the four of the big four will be back on the hardwood. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Get you some picks at the end of the program presented by Circa Sports. But speaking of Circa Sports, yesterday you and I were conversing a little bit about the Iowa-Penn State duel on Friday night at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. I said, you know, I should make a phone call or just sign a text over to my buddies in Vegas. And so I text Mike Palm, VP. He joins us here on Fridays on Miller and Condon. And he uh, said, let me get back to you. He said, intriguing first. And he asked what I would make the line, uh, a few other kind of nuts and bolts of things, and came back with this. So right now, and it has not changed at least as of about 7.30 this morning is when I last looked at it, Iowa is an underdog. Cody, you're the wrestling guy. That's fair, right? Yeah, I would think so. With no Spencer Lee, change goes from certainly a win, you would think, at 125, and all of a sudden now, a toss-up match there. They're the favorite. But it was a bigger favorite than I anticipated for Penn State. They're minus 285, meaning to win $100, you'd have to bet 285 on Penn State. Iowa, the underdog, at plus 240, meaning you bet $100, you'd win 240 if the Hawkeyes win the duel. That is basically implied odds, about 70-30 is what the implied odds are there. It's actually 71-29 and some change on each side, but that's basically what it is. Fair? Penn State about a 70% chance of winning it? Is that kind of the number that you would come to, kind of taking the gambling aside since you're not a big gambler? I, yeah, yeah. I don't like. I, I don't know. I hear 70% and I'm like, that's a lot. Um, but, you know, like I, Penn State has, has proven to be a pretty dang good wrestling team, especially now that they've kind of put all the pieces together Um you know, I, the way I see it, and, and maybe we'll break this down a little bit more, or we can do it now. Um, you know, I probably give two weights, um, thirty-three and eighty-four to Penn State mm-hmm. as like they're the favorites there, and then I'd give two weights, fifty-seven and sixty-five to Iowa, and then the other six could go either way depending on who shows up and who wrestles well, right? So, you know, could it? I mean, it could end up twenty-four to six Penn State. It can end up twenty-four to six Iowa. It can end up fifteen fifteen. And I don't know that I would be super sh- like surprised either way. Bonus points are going to be huge. You would have to figure in this one if if Iowa can at least win those toss-up matches. Say if there are six, probably got to go what four and two in those six matches. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know the script is simple and it's it's the same script for both teams. Like if you want to win this duel, you got to win the matches you're supposed to win mm-hmm. and score bonus if you can. And then you gotta win more of the toss-up matches than you lose. And if you do that, you'll come out on top. So, you know, I, you know, from there we could dive into each match about, you know, what's it gonna take right. to each match. Um, you know, we only have two hours here, so I don't know that we wanna, you know, <laughs> right. go down that road. But like the, the script is that simple. So, you know, 
you you look at Penn State's history against Iowa wrestlers specifically, and it's like okay, the NCAA championships, right? Penn State went four for four in the final round. Mm-hmm. Um, two of those wins were um, wins over their Iowa counterparts. So it's like okay, like you know, casual wrestling fan might be like, okay, well, Penn State's favored in those two matches. Um, you know, you look at the rankings. Penn State um, is favored. You know, on paper, at least seven out of the ten. Yep. Um, you know, that's I understand why people would want to look at it that way. So maybe that's where your seventy percent is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like it's you know it's going to be a good duel. It's going to be it's going to be obviously super intense, right? Sold out Carver Hawkeye Arena between number one and number three in the country. So um, you know from there we'll see. Like I don't I don't know. Like I could see I could see this duel unfold six, seven, eight, nine, ten different ways, um, which I think is part of the fun, right? Well, if you want to fire at it, you can download the Circus Sports app, and they have it up, and they have their own tab, the wrestling tab, up there for this duel. Iowa plus two forty on the money line and Penn State minus two eighty five. What other uh, wrestling question here about this duel? Where does Iowa, in your mind, have a better chance of pulling an upset at thirty three with Austin DeSanto against Roman Bravo Young, or at forty one with Jaden Ironman uh, going up against Nick Lee? Both those guys from Penn State ranked number one. Where would you say is a better chance of Iowa? And it wouldn't be a major upset, at least as it pertains to rankings. No. Where does Iowa have a better chance of those two of pulling off an upset? Yeah, I mean, I think they're both capable. Like, I know I just said, you know, 33, probably throw that one in favor of Penn State just because, you know, the way Roman Bravo Young wrestles, um, you know, I, th- I just think it's going to be hard for Austin DeSanto to, you know, wrestle the match he needs to wrestle in order to win it. That's not to say that he can't. I think the all-time series between those two is 3-2 to two in favor of RBY, but... Um, you know, just I, I, I just I, I see I see that as as a pretty stiff challenge for DeSanto at thirty three at forty one though. Um, you know, like they those two guys, Jaden Ironman from Iowa, Nick Lee from Penn State, they split last year. Jaden Ironman beat him in the Big Ten finals. Nick mm-hmm. Lee beat him in the NCAA finals. Um, you know, all time I think that that series is two to one in favor of Jaden Ironman. I think that's that's a match that Iowa needs to win, um, and especially if the duel starts at one twenty five. Um, you know, that could spark a little mini run for the Hawkeyes if mm-hmm. Ironman's able to get a win at 41. And then you have another toss-up match coming up at 49. Can Max Murin um, beat Bo Bartlett at 149? Those are two guys that wrestle really close matches all the time. If Iowa wants to win, that's a match Max probably needs to win. Mm-hmm. And then that carries you into um, the two matches at 57 and 65, where I believe Iowa is is favored. So then Caleb Young has to take care of business. Alex Marinelli has to take care of business. If they can score bonus points, you know, then you're looking at a run of four straight wins in the first six matches, potentially with bonus points there. That's a lot of momentum going into another NCAA Finals rematch, another toss-up at 174 between Michael Kemmer and Carter Storacci. Um you know, if, if Iowa can find a way to, to create that momentum, create that fire, win a string of those close matches right there, those toss-up matches, maybe score a bonus point or two along the way, um, that could change the complexion of the duel going into the final three weights where, you know, if things get a little haywacky between those first six, seven, eight weights, um, you know, I think the duel obviously would be decided over the course of those final three weights. So that's I think that's a really big opportunity for Iowa right there. It's 16-14, Penn State's leading going into the final match, and they do start at 125 in this scenario. Who do you like, Cassiope? Or the young big man from Penn State, man. Um, and imagine history, Carver, right? History would tell you to go with Cassiope because in those moments he finds a way to win those mm-hmm. big matches. That said, Greg Kirkfleet from Penn State is—he's wrestling lights out this season. He is fully healthy. I know Cassiope beat him last year in the Big Ten Championships. Um, it was it was a pretty dominant win, nine zero or ten zero, something like that. It was a, it was a win by major decision because Iowa got a bonus point out of it. Um, 
you know, I I don't think that Kirk Fleet was 100 percent last year. Um, he is a phenomenally talented wrestler. He's one of those age level world medalists um, before he even got to Penn State. Um, so that's that's a very intriguing matchup for a lot of like really in depth wrestling se- reasons. Um, you know, again, we only have two hours here, so I don't want to you know completely <laughs> um, you know burn your audience with a bunch of wrestling whatnot. But man, that I mean, I think if it comes to that. Where it's the match is decided by heavyweight, like wrestling fans all around the world win, um, because that's, I mean, it's it. This is gonna be it's gonna be on Big Ten Network, sold out Carver Hawkeye Arena, and it, you want it to you want it to come down to the last few weights like that, you know, if you really care about the product and wrestling and the sport and you know these two titans going at it, like yeah, like like that's what you want. That's the scenario mm-hmm. you want for it to be decided over the last few weights, and and if you can get it, the last weight, right? So I don't know who's gonna win. Um, I'm very intrigued to see that matchup stylistically, just because I think you know both guys, Cassiopeia and Kirkfleet, present problems for each other. Um, you know, so I would be very intrigued to see that match with the duel on the line for sure. Had somebody call in uh, yesterday, and also a couple of people tweeted, "Hey, talked a lot of Hawkeye wrestling. What can you tell us about the Cyclones as they gear up, getting ready for Big Twelves, and of course after that, uh, you and I also involved with it. What can you tell us about the other two D one programs in the state? Kevin Dresser, maybe it's taking a little bit longer, but it feels like." They are making those strides and building that program back up. Yeah, both those teams have a big weekend. They're both going down to Oklahoma this weekend, and they will both wrestle the Sooners and the Cowboys. Okay. Um, so, you know, the Oklahoma and Oklahoma State tied at the top of the Big 12 championships last year. So this is a pretty big weekend for both the Panthers and the Cyclones. Um, regarding Iowa State, man, like they – like. I I think a lot of people thought that you know Dresser would come in, snap his fingers, yeah. and then boom, it's a top ten, top five team. Like that's that's not really how these things work, almost ever. Um, you know, when he was at Virginia Tech, it took him a really really long time to get Virginia Tech consistently into the top ten, and then consistently into the top eight, and then consistently into like the top six or seven, where you're consistently in trophy range, right? A lot of people in the in the wrestling bubble. Um, you know, are they a trophy team? That means like, can you finish top four? Can you contend for a top four spot at the NCAA championships? Because those are the four teams that get trophies at the national tournament. It took them a really long time to build Virginia Tech into a trophy team, um, you know, or a consistent trophy contender. Right? You know, mm-hmm. I think the, I think it was it wasn't until 2016 that he that Virginia Tech finally took fourth at the NCAA championships, and by then he had been there for almost two decades. So, you know, is it different coming to Iowa State that's got a lot of history like that? Maybe a little bit, sure. but. Um, you know, like he's really had to work to kind of, you know, build the foundation that he wants to build the program on um, to bring in some high level recruits. You know, they're they're You know, I think by the by the coaches rankings, they have jumped to number seven. Um, you know, I think that the rankings that I more trust have them somewhere between 10 and 15. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, that's more for the tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah. More for the Google, tournament. Yeah. That's always the lens through which right. I, I kind of view these teams. Like what what's their what's their NCAA tournament look like or mm-hmm. what what could it look like? But no, like this is this is a really intriguing Iowa State team, right? They've got David Carr, returning NCAA champ, a lot of firepower there in the middle of the lineup. They've got, you know, before him, two other guys who um, wildly talented, all American caliber, Jared Dagan at one forty nine, Ian Parker at one forty one. Those guys are seniors. Can they can they finally you know, Dagan's already been an all American. Can can he and Ian Parker take that step and finish on the podium? Um, Marcus Coleman at one eighty four, he's a guy from Ames High School. Um, he's really figured a lot of things out this year at one eighty four, and that's a guy that's gonna be in the mix come March to potentially finish on the podium. Um, you know, and then they have a really, really intriguing wrestler at 197 pounds, younger Bastida. He came over from Cuba. Um, he's been here for a couple years. 
years. Um, big, big freestyle guy. Lots of international experience. Mm-hmm. He actually has a win over Kyvin Gadsden at an oh, international wow. competition. Um, so for him, the challenge over the last couple of years has been trying to learn folk style, collegiate folk style, as opposed to freestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are I don't I don't know how much casual wrestling fans yeah. know that there are different styles like that. They're similar, but they're different. And so, you know, he's figured a lot of things out yet. He hasn't mastered it, but he's figured out a lot of things and he's like maybe one of the most dangerous wrestlers on his feet in the country. Um, so, you know, I, I, those are kind of the five guys right now with, from Iowa state where I'm like, okay, how far can they go in March? Yeah. Um, you know, I could, there's a scenario where all five of them finish on the podium. There's a scenario where only one of them does, you know, and that's kind of which Iowa State team shows up in March. Um, you know, there's a lot of other fun pieces on that team, like, yep. um, you know, Joel Devine, formerly Joel Shapiro from West Des Moines Valley. He's mm-hmm. their starter at 74. Um, you know, they have some exciting pieces at, at like heavyweight. There's kind of a revolving door there at 65. A couple of lightweights, Kaisen Tarakina, Ramazan Adesayev, who I, I think pretty highly of. You know, we'll kind of see where they stack up here between, you know, the end of this month and, and to next month um, before the Big 12 championships, but I like the pieces that this Iowa State team has, so they're really intriguing. They, you know, that's one of those teams. Again, they could finish outside the top 20. They could potentially finish inside the top 10, depending on which team shows up in March. You and I is kind of the same way, man. They've got a lot of really fun pieces, um, a lot more local um, or like Iowa natives that yep. are you know in and around that roster, like a Brody Teske, right, four-time state champ from Fort Dodge. He's the guy at 125. Lance Runyon, a state champ for Southeast Polk. He just made his uh, season debut last weekend, actually at 174. Um, you know, and then they have they have a really talented wrestler at 184, Parker Keck guys, and returning All Americans. So, um, you know, I, I like where both of those teams are at. We're going to learn a lot about them this weekend when they get their hands on uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So they're uh, I like I like where they're at. They're not quite in the same neighborhood as the Hawkeyes, mm-hmm. um, but they are they're they're not very far away for sure. Oh, good stuff there, Cody Goodwin in for Ken and a good wrestling conversation there. We're going to get back to football when we come back on the other side, including. A rumor of Caleb Williams. Everybody anticipated it was going to be USC for the former Oklahoma quarterback. Not so fast. Suddenly the Badgers have entered the fray. We'll get into that. And some NFL conversation with Vinny Iyer coming up here at about 1044. Before all that, though, time to give you a chance to win $1,000. Right now, go to KXNO.com. All you have to do is punch in the keyword, and it's win, W-I-N, win at KXNO.com. Your chance to win $1,000. Coming back with more on the other side. Cody in for Ken. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Rolling through a Wednesday. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Cody, I didn't even ask you. That's Cody Goodwin over there from the Des Moines Register in for Ken. What kind of tunes do you like? Dude, I listen to a little bit of anything and everything. Um, I'm trying to think of like what's on my most recent Spotify ads. I'm a Spotify guy. You Spotify or Apple Music? Uh, a little bit, little bit. I use uh, Google or Amazon Music a little bit more. There you go. I don't know why. I've uh, probably because we got it for free or something like that through. Man, Amazon I got Prime. a little bit of everything on my like most recently like songs. Like I've got some Mike, some Jack Olmstead, some Kid Quill, Skizzy Mars, Tundra Beats, Fifty Cent, uh, but then also some like until Tom. you got to Fifty Cent. I didn't know any of the people that you <laughs> see. Like what oh, I do is like, I don't, and... there's like very few artists who I will be like, Oh, they dropped an album. I'm going to go listen to the whole thing. Start yeah. to finish. Um, I don't know. Like I'm very much of the streaming generation and I'll, I'll find a song and I'll like it and I'll just add it to a playlist and away I go. So what's the genre? 
Probably, if if I had to pick, probably country. Country. Um, gotcha. I gr- yeah, I grew up listening to country music quite a bit. Um, Eric Eric Church is my homeboy. Yeah. Like that's a that's that's a guy that I will go see. Um, I'll go see Kenny Chesney too because it's a it's a fun party in the summer. Um, but yeah, like pro- probably country if I had country, to pick. Country, huh? I wouldn't have. Uh, I would not have thought that you were a country guy yet. Yeah, especially after I rattled off all those. <laughs> right. like, that's, that's a bunch yeah. of like rap music yeah, and yeah. alternative and stuff like that. Yeah, my my stuff is basically my musical taste goes from about 1989 to about 96. So it's a lot of grunge. There you go. And a lot of early rap, N.W.A., Dre, all that stuff. That's kind of where I am. So. I didn't advance. Basically, I, I kind of ended, and I'm like, yeah, I don't need any more n- new music. After that time, <laughs> this so is good. I'm good I'm right good. here. I, I found, my, <laughs> found my rage, and I'm happy with where I where I am on that front. But yeah, I go from uh, making fun of Ken for being the old guy, and now well, here I am, the old guy, <laughs> as you're throwing out people that I have no clue about. Well, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. We get back into sports, and we're going to talk NFL coming up here in just a few minutes with Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. But a college story that I think is intriguing, Caleb Williams, Oklahoma quarterback. We saw what he was, that Texas game, and just an incredible performance. Hugely talented and figured he's going to go out to USC, follow the coaching staff out there, and he's going to be their quarterback. Well, this is drug out, and we're getting closer and closer to the point where classes have started for most every university out there at the, at the high level, and he still hasn't made a choice. And all of a sudden, yesterday, Wisconsin seems to enter the fray. They had the one year of Russell Wilson, which ended in a Rose Bowl, and another great performance out of him in an incredible season. But adding Caleb Williams after the quarterback struggles we certainly saw this year out of the Badgers, I mean, that completely would flip the conversation in the Big Ten West. And I think you could still argue Wisconsin, even though they didn't get there, they're still the behemoth in the West. They're still the favorite seemingly every single year. You throw Caleb Williams into that mix, though, does it go from not just the favorite in the West, but maybe one of the favorites in the Big Ten challenging the Michigans and Ohio States of the world? Maybe I'm very intrigued by this. We were talking about this before we we went live. Um, this would be very out of the norm when it comes to like when you think of like Wisconsin quarterbacks. Like you think of very like play action pro mm-hmm. style. You John know, Stocko. Yeah, guys that don't have to do a ton, but do the few things that they do. They do them very well, and so. You know, Caleb Williams to come in and, you know, they probably haven't had a quarterback like this. Let's assume he, he comes to Wisconsin. If he does, they haven't had a quarterback like this since probably Russell Wilson. Right. You know, just a guy who can create a little bit, has a strong arm, probably more used to a spread than a pro style offense. Mm-hmm. It would be very, very interesting to kind of one, see how that, how that dynamic works in Madison. And then two, if they're able to get it to work, um, you know, how does everybody else in the West deal with that? Because they're just, if you look at the state of this, you know, the, the state of the Big Ten West, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot of pro style smash mouth. We're going to run the ball down your throat type football. Not a lot of guys that can do the things that Caleb Williams can do, which I think I, I think it'd be very intriguing. It would make Big Ten West football games a lot more exciting. Um, you know, a lot more interesting, right? Like that, that, you know, I, Iowa, I think I, I feel like, you know, and, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong just because I don't watch them as religiously as some other people. But like the Hawkeyes, for example, you know, I I don't can they handle you know quarterbacks like this? You know, I, I, right. I mean, how do you their defense is always kind of the hallmark, and, and especially of recent years, Phil Parker's just done a tremendous job building that behemoth up. But like, you know, like when you throw a quarterback like this in the mix, you know, a guy that can create a little bit, it changes the equation, right? Like that's I'm very intrigued if he ends up at Wisconsin, how that would change. Um, 
you know, the dynamic of things. And kind of what? You're shooting for 24 points. That's going to win you most games in the Big Ten West. You throw Caleb Williams into the mix with Braylon Allen coming back, who was unbelievable during his campaign at running back. You know the Badgers are going to have a good offensive line. They'd have to find some weapons, certainly in the passing game, but the guy like Caleb Williams, intriguing at the very least to think about, and uh, scary certainly, I think, if you're a Hawkeye fan. With that, we're going to jump into the NFL coming up next. Vinny Iyer will join us from the Sporting News. Also, later in the program today, we've been talking about Carver Hawkeye on Friday night, the night before, tomorrow night, Iowa-Purdue. We got tickets to give away. We'll do that in the 11 o'clock hour as we roll on. Talking NFL next as we continue. Miller and Condon on 106.3key.com. Back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. The old NFL primetime music as we get ready for it. AFC NFC Championship Games coming up on Sunday, 2 and 5.30 kickoff times here Central. And joining us to talk about that. And a whole lot more going on in the NFL. He is Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Vinny, as always, appreciate your time today. And it's hard. It's hard to turn the page from what many people consider the best weekend of NFL football that we've had in a playoff round in a long time. When you go down that line of thinking, anything that equates to what we saw both Saturday and Sunday in your mind? No, that's always the best because you get really the teams that have been there all year and you get to that stage, there are no fluky teams. These are all very strong teams. They've either built momentum throughout the second half of the season or been very good from wire to wire. So now you get into uh, another round here. I don't think the excitement will be any less. I mean, we've seen these four teams uh, play each other before not too long ago. We had the Bengals and Chiefs playing Week 17. You had the Rams and 49ers playing Week 18. So turn around and we see these games again and uh, so it's exciting because now the stakes are raised we've had the one matchup that was exciting on both ends there the Bengals and 49ers able to pull off the big comebacks in the previous meeting so I'm looking forward to these games living up to the hype Uh, the only thing that's bad about it is we only have two games instead of four this week yeah exactly and uh, just one day as opposed to two just on Sunday with these games we're going to take the second of the two Cody, my co-host today, he is a Chiefs fan, so I'll let him handle the Cincinnati-KC matchup. 49ers-Rams, and you start right with the storyline, of course, of the way that Kyle Shanahan and company have dominated McVay, their history together, those kind of things. Yeah, the Rams are the favorite, but how big of a part is that? And when you talk about matchups, you know, you talk about that in boxing, that matchups really dictate what's going to happen in game. The style that the 49ers play off, is it just a bad matchup for the Rams? Well, I think what the 49ers do well is, and this is going back to Kyle Shanahan's uh, dad, Mike Shanahan, if you look at some of his playoff teams, is they really figure out what the team that they're playing does well, and they figure out what they do well, and then they kind of uh, match those things up really well. So they're going to avoid the strengths of the other team. They're going to avoid their own weaknesses. And they're going to play to their strengths that make sense. So why the 49ers, I think, are so successful against the Rams is some of the things they do in their offense. So they're dedicated to the run, so that keeps the pass rush contained and what they can do with Aaron Donald. And you can wear him down a little bit by doing that. He's been really quiet in the last four games against the 49ers in terms of making disruptive plays. So very good offensive line play. And you stick with the run to stay balanced, take pressure off your quarterback. And then the other thing they do, short to quick pass, and they don't work to the outside, force things down. Ramsey 
you saw in the first matchup, Jawan Jennings was a big factor because he had a great matchup all game long, and they just keep exploiting that. And Samuel is just a hard guy to stop because they can use him on the backfield. They can put him in the middle of the field. It's extremely hard. And then you throw in George Kittle, one of the best uh, tight ends in the game overall. I mean, probably right up there with uh, Travis Kelsey in terms of who's the best overall, along with Mark Andrews of the Ravens. So Kittle is just a nightmare matchup. You can do whatever you can to try and stop him, but he can also be a big factor run blocking as well. And I know guys out there and uh, gals out there really like George Kittle, so I, I think he's a guy that's been a difference maker in this matchup that the Rams don't quite match up well when he's on the field. I think the other thing that, that comes to mind, at least about the, the, the Niners and the Rams specifically, is that San Francisco's defensive front is healthy, right? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing them kind of at the peak of their powers, at least for this season, over the last few weeks, just the front four able to just get monster amount of pressure and, and the linebackers just being able to kind of fly around and make plays, right, with Fred Warner in the middle and Greenlaw back and... How much of an issue, like, how does, if you, I mean, if you're the Rams offensively, like, how do you find a way to, um, you know, beat that? Like, how do you, you know, is it, is it a matter of just quick passes? Like, what, what, is, what do you expect McVay to do to try and, you know, make that pass rush in that front seven, um, you know, not nearly as dangerous as they can be? I mean, this is one weakness that you get from the Rams a little bit, that they go away from the run a little too quickly. And last week, I think they stuck to the run stuck with the running game too much. They couldn't run to close out the Buccaneers. That was a big factor. Cam Akers also losing the ball a couple of times. So I would go back to Sonny Michel. I mean, he's been very effective down the stretch. I don't think McVay's going to do that because I think he's so eager to get Cam Akers out there. But that'll be helpful if they run. But yeah, you're, you just brought that on straight on here that it has been the front four pass rush. It's not just Nick Bosa. It's Eric Armstead on the other side who's been on fire here. He had two and a half sacks in the last meeting against the Rams. So you get those two guys on the edge, and then you have the, the way to stop the run pretty well inside. And you don't have to blitz. So you can get pressure with four. You, you mentioned the Greenlaw and Warner. You have those guys that act almost like extra safeties or defensive backs the way they can cover. So four yards are just well-constructed. I think that zone defense caused problems. And, their team that says, look, Cooper Cup can get his yardage. We just don't want him to make the big plays. He can have 10 catches for 120 yards, but if we shut down everyone else and don't let Cooper Cup get behind our defense, we're going to like our chances in this one. And I think uh, that's why the 49ers should be rather confident in beating a team a third time, which is not easy to do. Let's go to the early game, Kansas City-Cincinnati as simple as this, the anatomy of an upset. Yeah, Cincinnati won the game. Stakes are a little bit different here, certainly for uh, Kansas City on this spot. What is it going to take for Cincinnati to pull this upset off? Well, I think the Bengals just have to stay aggressive, but they also have to read the defense a little bit. And I think that's where the Chiefs are a little bit in trouble here, that you could blitz, and Steve Spagnolo could definitely come after Joe Burrow, knowing that he's a guy that sack more than any quarterback in the league this season, 51 times in the regular season, two against the Raiders, nine against the Titans. How do you get that? Is Chris Jones going to do it? Is Frank Clark going to do it? Can they get more pressure? They did not get a lot of pressure on Josh Allen last week. Joe Burrow can also buy time. He's got mobility, can get outside, receive his footwork, avoid pressure as well. He's going to hang in there and make those throws as much as possible. So they don't get pressure on Joe Burrow. I think this game is not going to go well for the Chiefs because you look at Burrow and his receivers, we're feeling that Tyron Matthew will play. Rashad Fenn's a little bit banged up. Javaris Ward is a little hurting. 
They were really not very good. This chief secondary against the Bills last week, letting Gabriel Davis score four touchdowns. So you worry about Jamar Chase, who destroyed the Chiefs in the first matchup. You worry about T. Higgins on the outside. Then you also have, can't forget about Tyler Boyd and C.J. Uzama with Joe Burrow using the middle of the field. If they blitz, those two guys are going to be open one-on-one, and you'll get the ball quickly. So I think, in a way, the Bengals are hoping the Chiefs stick with their blitzing ways because it didn't really work last week. But the Chiefs also have to be worried because if they play zone defense, then it's going to be handing off to Joe Mixon and getting those chunk runs. I mean, is it is it as simple as, you know, because I – Hey, I'm I'm from Kansas City. I was watching this game obviously through the Chiefs lens. Is it as simple as limiting Jamar Chase? I know you mentioned the other weapons like T. Higgins, who was a fantasy rock star for me this season, by the way. <laughs> um Joe Mixon's a threat out of the backfield. You mentioned Tyler Boyd. Um Joe Burrow can create and extend plays and, and make time for himself. But I mean, is it I I, I don't know. Like part there was a part of me that watching the last time these guys played, if they'd have just, you know, found a way to bracket or double Jamar Chase. Um, that maybe the game would not have gone the way it would have. I mean, is it is it that simple, or or what else um, do you feel like the Chiefs are going to have to do? I mean, I, I think the Bengals will anticipate them trying to take away Jamar Chase. I, I think the one thing the Bengals have done in a lot of matchups is when Jamar Chase gets contained that way, they try to get the ball to his hand in the open field on shorter passes. He makes a lot of guys miss. He's also very quick in the open field. And the other thing they can do is move him around where they can put him in the slot, create a confusion a little bit for where you want the coverage. And we know it'll be interesting to see if Matthew can play. And if we see that matchup at all, LSU on LSU, Chase versus Matthew at some point in this game. So they, the Bengals will anticipate this. They're comfortable making Higgins their go-to guy in a game, and he can stretch a field score in the red zone as well. So. You have to be very careful. You don't want to create anything too easy for Joe Burrow to read down the field. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Hey, Vinny, out of time for today. As always, appreciate it. Hope to run you down here before Super Bowl 56. Thanks for your time. All right, thank you, guys. Have a good one. That's Vinny Iyer joining us as he does each and every day. And Cody ran out of time. I had a question with the new GMs, both hired yesterday for the Bears and the Vikings. The Vikings won an intriguing. Adolfo Mensa, a guy that was a hedge fund manager and decided to get into football. Hey, why not, right? And the and the Bears trying to recreate what the Chiefs are doing down in Kansas City for a second time? I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that one goes. Yeah. Nagy did not go well. Let's <laughs> hope this is a little bit better. Hour down, one more to go. David Kaplan kicks off hour number two. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO.